Good morning, everyone. It is so good to see you this beautiful Monday morning, and I'm so excited that you've decided to take the time to join us for daily devotions through Redeeming Life Fellowship. And today, as we're following along our reading plan that's been leading us through this wonderful Gospel of Luke, uh, we're going to be in Luke chapter 20, verses 1 through 19. Luke chapter 20, verses 1 through 19. And uh, this particular section of Luke is actually really fascinating to me because up until this point, I mean, Jesus has been doing a lot of miracles and teaching, and um, he's warmly received. And we can tell from what we're reading here is that Jesus has become very popular and very beloved in the eyes of the of the public, of the crowds, that he has garnered a very, very, very strong following. Um, his, you know, his Twitter account, if you want to put it that way, is just explosive with how many people are actually following him. Uh, but this poses something of a problem when he comes to Jerusalem, and he knows that he's coming to Jerusalem uh, to give his life as a ransom and to uh, do the sort of thing that he was sent to do, and that is to give his life as the, the, the remedy for your sins and mine and theirs. And the, all of this stuff is about to happen. And what that also means is that the tension of the narrative is getting tighter and tighter and tighter. And that also that uh, where Jesus uh, was at once, I guess I wouldn't say so, but beloved, uh, where he's been doing lots of miracles. Uh, it's at this stage of the narrative where there's a lot of conflict and controversy, which I admit makes me a little bit uncomfortable because I don't like controversy. I don't like conflict. I don't like it when uh, people are butting heads like, uh, you know, angry rams on a hillside. Rah, da, 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 da. Uh, there's a lot of that headbutting uh, where someone's going to be the victor uh, in these types of controversies. And the controversy that Jesus meets up with again and again and again is between his authority, uh, his divine authority that is um, uh, um, self-evident in that it's so so powerful and so real and so tangible compared to the authority of the re religious authorities of Jerusalem, whether it be the Sadducees or the Pharisees or the Herodians or even Rome itself that they all manifestly lacked. And uh, so, so this is coming to a point where uh, one person's authority and another person's authority are going to be coming in conflict. And uh, we'll see that again and again and again as Jesus is in Jerusalem and the tension is ratcheting up and there's more and more conflict and more and more controversy in Jesus becomes the, the, the sort of person who is kind of in the interrogation chair where the spotlight's on him and they're trying to uh, really put Jesus on the hot spot and to try and get him to say something that's controversy, controversial and to be able to use his words against him and then to put him in his place so that their authority can be uh, validif or validified. Is that a word? Um, that they're their authority can be validated and Jesus can be discredited. That's all what's happening here. And uh, what's so masterful about this is that Jesus, my goodness, he is 
um, brilliant in the way that he handles these sorts of things, not only by deflecting these types of questions, but inevitably responding to them in such a way that puts the interrogators on the hot seat, where they're the ones who uh, have the, the spotlight that's showing on them, that, uh, that they're the ones who have to basically hold account to Jesus, not the other way around. And all of this is so... Um, it's such a big deal, not least because uh, when Jesus is outside of Jerusalem, uh, he's um, he's doing in, he's he's teaching and doing these miracle ministries on a kind of like itinerant basis, where he's in this city and that city, and in Galilee to the north, not Judea to the south, so that um, he's he's kind of going rogue. Uh, not rogue, where, well, maybe that's the way to put it, um, as an itinerant minister uh, who doesn't really have a home, um, he uh, doesn't have some kind of like spatial authority, like in the same way that if why I'm at Aldi and I have my uniform, this is my space, my turf, uh, I have an authority there because I'm an assistant manager there, which is great. But Jesus has the audacity not only to be able to say these things and do these things, but to do them in Jerusalem, on their own turf. Uh, in Jerusalem, where there's the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Romans and the Herodians, uh, that he would dare challenge their authority on their own turf really does pose a legitimate threat to their authority. And... Uh, and so you can see how this is becoming such a problem and such a controversy of what's happening. But with all that being said, let's actually read the text. Uh, thank you so much for your patience and long-windedness. I think the coffee is a little extra strong today, but you guys are a patient bunch, so I love you very much. Let's continue. Luke chapter 20, verses 1 through 19. And uh, you're going to find an issue where... Uh, Jesus's authority is questioned directly. But then, in response to this, Jesus tells a parable, and it's a parable that is about as close to allegory as you could ever really get on Jesus's lips, where the story that he's telling has uh, this uh, symbolic relationship between the images that he's picturing in our minds and and their their correspondence to something directly. And so uh, in all of this is to get at, let me say it this way, it's to help us, to help them be able to see who Jesus is and seeing who Jesus is through recognizing his authority. Uh, and that's incredibly important for us because if we want to see who Jesus is, know who he is, um, but if we do so without recognizing the authority that he has as Lord over our lives, we'll never be able to see Jesus or know Jesus in a real way. Uh, but when we can come to recognize Jesus as, as, as one who, who wields this kind of divine authority, indeed supreme authority, uh, then we can come to actually know Jesus for who he is and to have a living relationship with him. Uh, and this becomes inevitably a problem when 
we have to make the decision whether we're going to be like the Pharisees or someone else who, who, who not only thinks that we can actually do without Jesus, but that it would be a whole lot better for our lives if we could just do away with Jesus. And that is not going to happen regardless however much we try. Uh, because the Pharisees tried. All the authorities uh, who are vying for authority here in Jerusalem, uh, all at each other's throats and trying to stamp out this Jesus movement. Uh, none of that's going to make any difference. Uh, not when we're dealing with a risen Jesus. So, but I digress. We are going to get into the text. So let's read this together. And I think just a read through is hopefully going to make sense uh, as we get to the end. All right. Chapter 20, verse, verses 1 through 19, beginning in verse 1. One day, as he was teaching the people in the temple courts and preaching the gospel, the chief priests and the teachers of the law together with the elders came up to him. Tell us, by what authority are you doing these things? They said. Who gave you this authority? He replied, I will also ask you a question. Tell me, John's baptism. Remember from the beginning uh, where uh, Jesus's ministry is introduced through the ministry of John, and John preaches a baptism of repentance and the coming of the kingdom of God so that to respond to John's baptism is to open the door and open the way into receiving uh, the ministry of the coming of the kingdom of God through Jesus himself. And so he wants them to know, or wants to know from them, from the Pharisees, the people who are you know, religious and who um, boast of a, a an authority, um, a religious authority over other people's lives. They want to know this baptism that came through this man, John the Baptist, out of the wilderness, uh, was his baptism, his ministry, was it from God or was it merely just another uh, socio-religious phenomenon that could be it's here for a moment and then gone the next day, and that there's really no divine authority that's invested into the things that John the Baptist is doing. Is he about the work of God or not? That's what Jesus wants to know from the Pharisees. So, so tell me, John's baptism, was it from heaven or from men? They discussed it among themselves and said, if we say from heaven, he will ask, why didn't you believe him? But if we say from men, all the people will stone us because they are persuaded that John was a prophet. So they answered, we don't know where it was from. Jesus said, neither will I tell you by what authority I am doing these things. Isn't it fascinating how, how, how penetrating Jesus is in the way that he handles these questions that exposes the hypocrisy of the teacher of the, the, the chief priests and the teachers of the law. It is amazing how he handles that. Uh, but let's continue. It says this, verse 9. He went on to tell the people this parable. A man planted a vineyard, rented it to some farmers, and went away for a long time. At harvest time, he sent a servant to the tenants so that they would give him some of the fruit of the vineyard. But the tenants beat him and sent him away empty-handed. He sent another servant, but 
that one also they beat and treated shamefully and sent away empty-handed. He sent still a third, and they wounded him and threw him out. Then the owner of the vineyard said, What shall I do? I will send my son, whom I love. Perhaps they will respect him. But when the tenants saw him, they talked the matter over. This is the heir, they said. Let's kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. So they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. What then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? That's these tenants. He will come and kill those tenants and give the vineyard to others. When the people heard this, they said, May this never be. Jesus looked directly at them and asked, Then what is the meaning of that which is written? The stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. Let's pause there for a second. What Jesus means when he said the stone that the builders rejected has become the capstone. A capstone, or a cornerstone as it's sometimes called, is the largest, heaviest stone that you use in building a house that's at the corner of two walls so that as long as that thing is stable, all of the walls can actually uh, hold their, their binding, their compression, and that you can build a stable foundation because you have a capstone, because you have a cornerstone. If the capstone is good, the cornerstone is good, then you can actually have a good building. If you don't have that, you don't have a building. The whole thing is going to collapse. So what he's saying, the stone that the builders rejected, if you're thinking about, uh, I, I'm actually having fun uh, practicing building a lot of things. And it's easy when you're going through uh, especially going to the hardware store in Menards, and you're looking at all these building materials, and you're thinking, I need this, I need this, I need this, I need this, I need this. This stuff doesn't matter. I, I, I know what I'm building. I can do without this kind of thing. Uh, but I need this, I need this, I need this. And so uh, you're, you're sorting throughout your mind, and the thing it is that you want to build, the things that you absolutely need, and the stuff that you can just, you can you can discredit. It doesn't, doesn't matter. Um... So when you're looking at all this raw materials, you're sorting out between what's necessary and then what um, is unnecessary. And Jesus, quoting Psalm 118, verses, verse 22, saying that the stone that the builders rejected, when you're looking at all these things that you need to build something, this thing was rejected, tossed aside. That thing that was rejected has become the most important thing. The first thing, the last thing, the thing that you cannot do without, this thing that the builders rejected has become the most important thing, the thing that you cannot do without. That's what's happened. Um, and let's continue. It says this, Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces, but he on whom it falls will be crushed. The teachers of the law and the chief priests looked for a way to arrest him immediately because they knew he had spoken this parable against them, but they were afraid of the people. And so Jesus, as he's telling this parable, and, you know, and, the, and the, the, the meaning behind it, 
that there's servants who are come to collect the fruit and they get beaten and cast outside, that this is a historical dramatization, allegory almost, of the history of Israel, God sending the prophets and the, and the religious leaders, mistreating them and casting them aside, beating them, sometimes murdering them. That's um, happened over and over and over again. And now uh, God sends his son um, in hopes that uh, this will be the time when, when these things are going to be different. And is foretelling that he's actually going to die um, and that by virtue of his death, this means doom for the religious leaders because they think that they can claim ownership over something that belongs to God. And that's not going to happen uh, because, in this case, this, as the religious leaders, <laughs> they reject everything that, that God sends to them. Um, and that the stone that's here, that, that the builders rejected, has now finally become the capstone. That this is... Um, He's telling this as a way to be able to open their eyes to, to not recognizing, not merely recognizing the authority of Jesus, but how necessary he is to their identity as the people of God. It's something that, whether they like it or not, that Jesus is something that they just simply cannot do without. And their lives are going to be always at unrest always in conflict with those around them fighting for power, always going to be uh, restless in the sight of God until they can accept the Prince of Peace who is in their very midst. And uh, I'm thankful that we serve a God who gives us rest, that, that in submitting to his authority and submitting to his lordship, that means... Um, life and peace and wholeness and rest for your life and for mine. Um, and uh, if we would accept that, then uh, our lives are going to be different. We're going to live differently because we recognize that Jesus is indeed Lord over all, you and me. So thank you so much for joining us for Daily Devotions. If you haven't uh, subscribed to the YouTube channel, you can check out the podcasts. You can find ways to support this church plant that we have here in Whitley County. And I look forward to the time that we get to meet together, break bread together, uh, and just learn and grow and live as the people of God as we devote our time and our energy and our passions uh, to the sort of things that God has called us to do uh, here in Whitley County. So God bless you. Take care. We'll see you next time.